In today's episode, we join the Smoochers on a sunny Saturday morning. Scott, are you done in the garage? I need some help in the kitchen. Yep, I'm just about done. Good, because I need you to... Oh, baby! Is that a flower box? You betcha. I just finished putting it together. You made this for me? Well, yeah. I knew how much you wanted one, and you deserve a one of a kind. So here it is, hand painted and everything. Scott, I don't know what to say. It's beautiful. I can't believe you made this for me. I'm a man of many talents, my dear. You should know that by now. Where are you going? I thought you had something you needed help with in here. I'm in the bedroom. There's one more thing I need you to work on this morning. Okay. Am I going to need my tool belt? I'd say lose the belt. Oh, baby. All right, all right. Well, another episode of The Smoochers, huh? That's exciting stuff and so, so real. Well, today we talk about a very sensitive but very relevant topic, how to deepen your intimacy. Now, I know many of you are kind of new to the Bible, but today's passage, if you have a Bible of your own, uh, will be very easy to find. Or maybe you want to find it on your portable device, whatever you read Scripture from. Go all the way to the beginning of the Bible, and right there in the second chapter is where we're going to read. This is a classic passage and very relevant when it comes to marriage. So we're going to pick up chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And it goes on to describe God creating birds and animals. And then Adam has the incredible privilege, but the awesome responsibility of naming each of those creatures. And then we skip on down to verse 20 where we read, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, that's a very profound verse because it sets up what God is about to do in preparing for the first marriage. See, we should never despair. God always has a plan. By the way, let me say to you that those of you who may be in a dilemma today or maybe you're wondering how is God going to come through, please remember God always has a plan. We, we just need to discover what it is and get in on it. So in verse 21, we continue here. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping... He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What an amazing story. God literally takes a rib from Adam's side and he carefully fashions, forms, shapes, creates this marvelous helper, this complement to Adam uh, called woman. And Adam takes one look at her and says, wow, great work, God. Wrap her up and I'll take her home. And then he says, no, on second thought, God, don't wrap her up. I'll take her just the way she is. And so we have it. There begins the very first couple, the very first marriage. Now, I want to tell you folks, as we fast forward to today's world and our culture in this 21st century, intimacy issues are wreaking havoc in marriages. Let me say that again. Make sure you hear it. Intimacy issues are wreaking havoc in so many of today's marriages. The problem is the bedroom has become more of a battleground or a battlefield instead of a playground. And there's a lot of turmoil and stress and tension and fighting. But if we can just turn the bedroom back into a playground, as God intended, a place of enormous intimacy, of connectedness and oneness, then so many problems can be solved. But it can't happen overnight. It's got to be a process. If I were to tell you today, those of you who are married, if I were to tell you, look, God has a plan for your marriage of awesome fulfillment, satisfaction, pleasure, oneness, where you both are so satisfied in this relationship, it's just almost beyond words. Would you believe me if I told you that? Well, I'll tell you what, it's true. But it doesn't happen through neglect. We have to be intentional. And so as we go on this journey today, I'm going to invite you to learn with me three things here that we can take right out of this passage that we just read Three ways that we can deepen in our intimacy with our spouse. So here we go. Here is the first way, and that is to be spiritually united. Now I know what some of you are thinking. You're going, good night. I thought we were here to talk about sex. And all you're talking about are spiritual issues. And you're right. Because I've discovered that at the heart of of most intimacy issues is a spiritual component. Verse 18 of our text today read, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. God designed humankind for companionship. As you read this text, all along as God creates this and that and the other thing, he says it's good, it's good, it's good. In fact, he, often, he also says it's very good. But now for the very first time, and I think this is significant, God says it's not good. 
And he was referring, of course, to Adam being alone. Dog may be man's best friend, but it was clear that there was no suitable helper found for Adam at this point. So we need to understand that God designed, God made Adam and Eve for each other. This is more than just an issue of happiness or companionship. He crafted them to be together. And he literally went inside of Adam and took the ingredients to create Eve, blood, flesh, and bone. Commentators love to point out the fact, and I think it's significant, that because Eve came from Adam's side, there's a marvelous symbolic sense of spiritual equality here. Hope you hear that. It does not mean that, that husbands and wives have exactly the same roles or are called to exactly the same role in the marriage. But what it does mean is that spiritually, they're on totally equal footing in terms of their preciousness to God, their value to God, their relationship with God. The NIV that I read from says that God made a suitable helper for Adam. The Hebrew word literally means a match, a complement, one who pairs up perfectly with the other. Now some of you may be wondering, Pastor, if that's really true, that God designed us to be this perfect match, to fit together perfectly, how is it that my wife and I have so many differences? How is it that my husband and I are opposite on so many things? Is this true of you? It is of Debbie and me. She loves the beach. I love the mountains. She loves really hot weather. I love cool weather more. In fact, she's always kind of a little too cold. I'm always feeling like it's a little too hot in the room. She is much more talkative and outgoing. I'm a lot more reserved by nature and introverted. She squeezes the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. I squeeze it very neatly from the end, the way God intended from the foundation of the world, I want to tell you right now. We are so different. And yet we complement each other. We were designed to fit together perfectly, and that begins with a spiritual union. We are united in spirit. So let me tell you, whenever I hear that a, a couple is about to get married or they're dating, maybe thinking about marriage one day, young or old, it doesn't matter their age, the first question I want to know is, are you spiritually compatible? In fact, if you ask someone at our church to officiate your wedding ceremony, which our staff would be honored to do, I want you to know the first thing they're going to be interested in is are both of you sharing a faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have the same faith? Now, if both of you don't have a faith in Christ, th that's a whole different matter, and it may be that we can work with that. But we really want to know that both of you are together on this spiritual thing. And if it's clear that one of you is truly a follower of Jesus and one is not, you know what? We don't even have the right biblically to officiate that wedding. God cares that much about you. He wants you to share the faith. Now, I realize that many couples don't. And if you're married today, 
If you're married today and your spouse doesn't share the same faith, listen, you stay where you are, you work with that, and you pray for your spouse that he or she will come to faith in God. But spiritual unitedness is an important thing. Here's why. Because when we really belong to the Lord, our whole perspective begins to change. How does it change, Pastor? If we're really following Jesus, guess what? We are more selfless than selfish. We tend to think more about the good of our spouse than we do our own good. That's what love really is. And instead of just wondering, how can I get my needs fulfilled, we're even more concerned about how can I help my spouse be all God designed him or her to be. So let me ask you as we begin, are you spiritually united? I just want to say to you before we quickly move on, there is a spiritual component at the heart of every intimacy issue. Please don't just overlook that. And one of the reasons it's so important, so important that we grow together spiritually is that it enhances every aspect of the marriage relationship. The second thing that intimacy means, though, is not just the spiritual unitedness, but here's where it gets a little more kind of personal. There needs to be an emotional availability. We need to be emotionally available. Verse 25 of our text says, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. If you're taking notes, I would want you to write down the word vulnerability. It's a big word. Write down vulnerable or vulnerability, because that's what I see here jumping off the page of the Bible. You see, it wasn't until after sin entered the picture that Adam and Eve were suddenly all self-conscious and insecure and they started putting clothes on to cover themselves. Prior to that, they were totally emotionally open and available, totally vulnerable to one another. And please mark this, true vulnerability is essential to a healthy marriage. Now, have you ever wondered what Adam and Eve looked like? Boy, isn't that an interesting question? What did they look like? I'm sure they were fine physical specimens. But remember, they were the only people in history who did not come into the world as a baby. But rather as adults. I wonder what stage of life God created them. How old were they? How mature were they? Well, my guess as that Adam was at the peak of his prowess and appearance. The peak. He was probably around, I don't know, 55 years old would be my guess. Yeah. Now theologians disagree on this, but there's a, a lot of evidence to suggest that that is the absolute peak right there. It's good that we can laugh about this, but can I tell you why we do not know at what stage they were, or what age, if you will. What we do know is that prior to sin, they felt no shame. Think of that. 
It means they had nothing to hide. There was a total trust here, a complete emotional availability and vulnerability. Let me ask you a personal question. Does that describe your marriage relationship? Or there are all these insecurities and all of these things that keep you from being totally open and, and vulnerable with one another. You see, vulnerability means that we're learning how to share our whole self, letting our spouse see us, warts and all. We're sharing our life, body, soul, and spirit. And communication, of course, is one of the keys to deepening your intimacy. Now, I know that some of you guys are probably sitting there right now saying, gee, pastor, Again, let me, let me say, I thought this sermon was going to be all about sex. Well, we're getting there, so hang on. I thought it was going to be all about sexual intimacy, and so far, all you've talked about is spiritual things and now emotional things, and you're, you're saying communication is the key. And your wife is sitting there right now, sir, and going, hello, this is what I've been trying to tell you for a long time, but you won't listen. Communication is so important, men, because to a woman, communication has everything to do with intimacy. She wants you to share her world, to be excited about her life pursuits, to know what's going on internally, her fears, her anxieties, her concerns about the future and the present. She wants you to listen she wants you to feed back when she says something to try to ask a few questions and maybe read between the lines she wants you in short to understand her she wants you to enter into her world to surprise her now and then with a gift that she wasn't expecting to bring flowers home one day and maybe a handwritten note She wants you to turn off the TV and look deeply into her eyes. Josh McDowell says, The chief dysfunction in failing marriages is not sexual but verbal. Fulfilled marriages are enjoyed by those who share their feelings and have a great amount of openness with their spouse. Friends, in my experience of being married now for 26 years, that is absolutely true. Debbie and I have learned that we are most satisfied sexually when we've been most vulnerable and most available emotionally. H. Norman Wright is an amazing marriage therapist, and he says, and I quote, For women, sex is only one means of intimacy out of many, and not always the best one. For many men, sex is the only expression of intimacy. Wright goes on to say, men tend to compress the meaning of intimacy into the sex act. And when they don't have that outlet, they become frustrated and upset. Why? Because they're cut off from the only source of closeness they know. So let me ask you, how are you doing with your communication as husband and wife? You know, this is something we can really learn. Do you know your spouse's love language? Do you know what communicates 
loud and clear to him or her, I do love you, and you're doing it by excellent communication. I know of no marriages that are going deep in intimacy where communication is not pretty good. Back in June of this year, Time Magazine had a front page feature article and it is entitled, you can see there, Two Wedding Rings, How to Stay Married and Why. Isn't that a great title? How to Stay Married and Why. Time Magazine, certainly not a Christian publication. And they quote a lot of experts in here. In fact, they quote Dr. Gary Chapman that has spoken here at Grace before, a wonderful Christian, they actually say that he may be the foremost marriage therapist in America. I was surprised to hear them say that. John Gottman is now the nation's leading marriage researcher and educator, and they quote him frequently. Gottman's got a lot of great stuff, he and his team. But I want to read one little section here that I thought was interesting as it relates to emotional availability. We usually think of the emotional side of the marriage just belonging to the wives. But we're finding that when husbands make themselves emotionally available and begin to carry some of that load, it makes a huge difference in the quality of the relationship. So let me read. It says, therapists are now suggesting that men need to do more of the emotional labor in a relationship. The work that goes into sustaining love, which usually falls to women. What men do in a relationship is, by and large, it's a large margin, the crucial factor that separates a great relationship from a failed one, writes Gottman in his new book, The Man's Guide to Women. This doesn't mean that a woman doesn't need to do her part, but the data proves that a man's actions are the key variable. Let me read that again. The data proves, they've studied tens of thousands of couples. And Gottman says, the leading researcher and educator on marriage, says the data proves that a man's actions are the key variable that determines whether a relationship succeeds or fails. So men, let me ask you, what are you doing to help carry the emotional load in your marriage relationship. By the way, one of the reasons that I challenged you and urged you to start praying some brief prayers out loud together as a couple, a couple of weeks ago, you remember when we gave that challenge, it's not just because God wants us to be praying people. He does. That's a wonderful thing. But one of the reasons that I gave that challenge is because I've discovered it requires emotional vulnerability to pray with your spouse. Have you discovered that? Now, I hear many men say, look, that's just not my thing, Pastor. I'm just not a prayer. I don't do well with words. But are you willing to try? Just say a brief prayer. Just start. Don't worry about how it sounds. You'll be amazed what progress you make. And here's what will shock you most of all. If you get honest... If you get authentic and real in your prayers, what you're going to find is your spouse will be drawn to you like you never dreamed. Can, can I tell you the big fallacy that I had about marriage? You see, I believed, I believed that if I was just a perfectly put together guy, ha ha, 
I believe that if I just was strong and courageous, I believe that I've had no chinks in my armor and my wife never saw any weakness or insecurity in me, she would love me and be drawn to me. You know what I've discovered? When I get vulnerable and show my weaknesses and fears, that's when she's drawn to me more than ever. You know why? Because she has them too. And your spouse has insecurities and fears and weaknesses. And he or she wants to know that you've got them too. And that's one of the things God's going to use to bind you together. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 that God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And indeed, God's power is demonstrated when we admit our weakness in our marriage. So let me just pause before we get to our final big point of the day here. How are you doing being emotionally vulnerable, vulnerable and available to your spouse? Intimacy isn't just about the physical. It begins by being spiritually united and then emotionally available. But now we've come to the topic that most of you wanted to hear about anyway, right? <laughs> but there's no way we could start here. And by the way, I just want to say to you that if you believe you can have a mutually sexually satisfying relationship and ignore those first two factors, you are living in la-la land. I want you to know, I'm just being honest, you're living a fairy tale dream that'll never come true. You are living a pipe dream. Those things have to be a foundation. And then you can have the best intimacy possible. So the third thing here is to be physically connected. Now, in an obvious sense, Adam and Eve were physically connected. My goodness, Eve was literally fashioned out of Adam's side. But what we learn today is that a strong, healthy marriage has a passionate physical aspect to it. And that's important for us to understand. Now, I, I probably need to pause and say here that while God is really, really high on sexual intimacy in marriage, God also makes clear that intimacy is only for husband and wife within the context of marriage. In fact, his instructions in his Bible say that anything outside of that context is plainly a sin. It's disobedience to God. And I, I'm actually delighted. The more and more secular reports I read, the more and more research that is done, uh, secular studies are now confirming what biblical commands have implied for centuries. Here's the conclusion that the studies are coming to. That the most sexually fulfilled people on the planet are those who are in monogamous committed relationships where there's unconditional love and tenacious commitment. Those are the most satisfied people of all. Now, men, let me ask you a question. How are you doing being physically connected, physically close to your wife, when it doesn't necessarily lead to intimacy? There's an important question. 
In fact, John Gottman, the expert we quoted a moment ago, would tell you, sir, he would tell you that one of the key indicators of a flourishing marriage is if the husband intentionally shows affection for his wife physically. Sir, how are you doing with that? Do you ever just reach over and hold her hand? Do you ever just kind of rub her shoulders and back, maybe when you're watching TV together or a movie? Or when you walk out of church, do you ever just kind of reach over and maybe kiss her on the cheek? By the way, do you open the door for your wife, the door of the car? Or at least wait until she gets in before you drive off, I hope, I hope, I hope, right? These things mean a lot. Sir, your wife wants to feel loved and cherished by you. And there's lots of ways you can show that, but being physically close, even when it doesn't lead directly to intimacy, is very, very important. In one episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, Ray is kind of trying to dig himself out of a hole with his wife, Deborah. He's kind of in trouble because he's been ignoring her, quite frankly, and they're sitting on the sofa together, and he begins to compliment her. He says, you are so hot. You are so hot. You are beautiful. And she says, well, it, it, it would be nice to hear that, hear you say that sometime. He says, I say that to you all the time. She says, you say it when we're crawling into bed and you want something. <laughs> she says, it would kind of be nice to hear you say, I'm beautiful, when the lights are on and you can actually see me. And you know what? Many wives, many wives would say amen to that. How connected physically, are, how sensitive, how tender are you even when it doesn't lead necessarily to sexual intimacy? Guys, if that is not a part of your married life, you're really missing out. Now, let's be honest. God celebrates the sexual union in a marriage. In fact, he celebrates it so much, he put a whole book in the Bible. Can you believe it? The Song of Solomon, or the Song of Songs, as it's sometimes called, in the Old Testament. Read it sometime. It's a whole book about the celebration of satisfying sexual intimacy in a marriage relationship. That's how awesome God says it is. Now, let me put it to you plainly. God wants you to have passion with your spouse and to regularly enjoy one another physically. Now, some of you immediately object and go, but pastor, you don't know my situation. And you're absolutely right. I do not know your situation, but I do know human nature. And after years of talking with couples in all kinds of different scenarios, I do know that our human nature often would rather make excuses than an honest effort toward deepening intimacy. Now, in some rare cases, 
they there may be a physical problem or a health issue that frustrates intimacy or even precludes it. I understand that. But sometimes the lack of honest progress toward intimacy is really more selfishness. And we've just stopped working on the relationship and fatigue and apathy have become all-consuming. Now, I know this is a sensitive area, but I've got to put it to you straight because I care about your marriage. If you have gone, if you're married today and you have gone for weeks or even months without sexual intimacy, something is really wrong. And it's time for us to stop acting like it's okay. It's time for us to begin to deal with the issues. So I told you, every week there would be some homework. Here's some homework for you. If that's a reality in your marriage, that there's just almost a lack of sexual intimacy, I would urge you to seek out a Christian counselor. That's a good place to start. It can set you perhaps on a great path toward healing and wholeness in a more healthy marriage. Or maybe you could go to your lead pastor at whichever campus you're worshiping at. Go to your lead pastor or a staff person and go, look, is there a marriage mentor couple, a couple that could mentor us and maybe spend some time with us and just listen and, and maybe feed back a little bit and I would urge you to do that. That's another important piece of homework that some of you could do. In fact, that's a great idea at times, even if your marriage is quite healthy. But please seek to become more healthy in this aspect of your relationship. And by the way, if you are physically healthy enough for intimacy, and yet you're withholding it in the marriage, I just want you to know you're creating an enormous temptation for your spouse. Pastor Bob Russell put it this way, if you're withholding intimacy in your marriage from your spouse, then you're sending a starving person out into the world, which is a food court, with luscious aromas beckoning and many shops offering free samples. I also know that I'm speaking to many people today who are the victims of sexual abuse. Maybe it happened when you were a child or a young teenager, maybe even a young adult. Perhaps the abuse occurred in a dating relationship or possibly even in marriage. I am so sorry. Some person, for their own twisted pleasure, acted wickedly and maliciously. That should never have happened. And they rob from you joy and they rob from you a sense of what normalcy is. I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I also realize that I'm speaking to many today who have viewed pornography or are addicted to it. Or perhaps your spouse is struggling in this area. So there's so many dynamics at work here. In fact, anytime, anytime you get this many people together in one room, trust me, there is a lot of sexual brokenness. There really is. Because we are very broken people. But here's all I'm asking you to do. 
please come to a point, in spite of the pain, in spite of what may have occurred in the past, please, please come to the point where you say, I am going to deal with this. I'm going to invite God's grace into my life and begin, begin the long, hard journey of healing and allowing God to restore the years that the locust have eaten. Are you willing to do that? I realize that severe situations may take a lot of time, but you've got to have a starting point. You've got to start taking some baby steps. That's my homework challenge for you this week. And, and I fear for you that if you don't do that, listen, one of two things is going to occur. Either you're going to stay married, but you're going to have a miserable marriage, miserable, or you're going to get a divorce, and then one day you're going to carry a whole boatload of baggage that you've never dealt with into a new marriage with someone else. You know, the Bible actually envisions a husband and wife having healthy, regular sexual intimacy. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's wife does not belong to him alone but also to his wife. And catch this part. Do not deprive each other. That means deprive each other of sexual intimacy. Don't do that. except by mutual consent. In other words, you both agree on it. And for a time. In other words, it needs to be a limited time. And then the next stipulation, he says, it needs to be for some noble purpose. It says, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. It may be toward the end of a pregnancy. It may be after a new child has been born. It may be when you've just lost a family member or dear friend that's close to you and you're grieving, it may be you're going through some traumatic dark night of the soul or some season of life. You say, look, let, let's hold off on intimacy for this short period of time. But then Paul says, be sure you come back. Because we all know there's a whole lot of temptation out there. Genesis 2.24 reads, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, as we wrap up today, I just want to say a quick word to those of you who may be living together and engaging in sexual intimacy without being married, okay? Here's the thing, because I care about you, I'm just really concerned, and here's why. Because all of the studies that are done essentially conclude this, that living together before being married is basically a training ground and a breeding ground for divorce. It really is. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not making an extreme statement here. I can point you to a handful of couples today, I know, a handful of couples that lived together before they were married and they're happily married today. But can I tell you the truth? For every couple I can point you to that that's the situation, I can point you to 10 couples who lived together 
and are no longer a couple anymore or went through a painful divorce. I can point you to 10. The ratio is about 10 to 1. I'm just concerned about you. I'm concerned about your soul, frankly, and your soul's health and, and where you are with God. And I'm concerned about your future marriage relationship. Gene Apple puts it like this. In so many cases, when one person says to another, I love you, but you know what? Let, let's just live together. Let, let's not ruin it by getting married. What that person really means is, I don't love you enough to close off all my other options. I don't love you enough to give myself to you that thoroughly. Folks, marriage is more than a piece of paper. It is a magnificent blend of law and love, vertically committed to God, horizontally committed to each other. Marriage is a love-driven, truth-telling, grace-giving, passionate relationship, just like Jesus has with his followers, the church. And if you're not married today, I pray you will realize that before you do get married. And if you are married, I pray that by God's amazing grace, you will keep your marriage vows. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for designing marriage to be marvelously satisfying. I thank you for every couple here today. And I ask, oh God, that wherever they are on this journey, whatever's going on, you know, Lord, you know it all. I pray that you would invade this very moment and all this week. And there would not be excuses, but there would be action. And I pray for such healing, such wholeness, such progress, that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified this week in all the relationships represented. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.